This episode of Ministry Monday is brought to you by OCP. OCP offers a large, comprehensive selection of seasonal and annual missiles like the most popular and widely used, Breaking Bread. If your parish community is looking for a worship resource to support full and active participation in the liturgy, go to ocp.org forward slash missiles. From NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, this is episode 222 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to Ministry Monday wherever you listen to your podcasts each week. And hey, thanks for joining us today. There are so many ways to involve a parish community in its music ministry, and not all of them, of course, use singing. Haven't we all heard the parishioner who comes up to us and says, I can't join the music ministry, I can't sing. Well, luckily for us, music ministry today can include instrumental assistance, including a handbell choir. In many instances, handbell choirs were the only choirs allowed in a parish setting during the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic. It is a choir setting that can be accomplished without projecting the human voice. It can also be done with plenty of social distancing if space allows, and more than anything, it provides the community of a choir without singing, a perfect option for those who want to use their musical gifts without singing. Handbell choirs are a great option in a music ministry program, but some music ministers may not know where to start. How can I afford handbells? Who do I purchase them from? How do I teach and direct a handbell choir? These questions and many more are addressed in my conversation today. Donna Kinsey has served for over 50 years as the pastoral musician for St. Francis de Sales Parish. She has taught music for public and Catholic schools in both Morgantown, West Virginia and in Pennsylvania. She is also a handbell clinician and has spearheaded the National Catholic Handbell Festivals with the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. This episode of Ministry Monday is truly a primer on starting a handbell choir. Not only that, Donna has provided a handout in the show notes of this episode for additional tips. If you've ever considered starting a handbell choir, this is the episode for you. Today on Ministry Monday, I'm speaking to Donna Kinsey. Hi, Donna. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing fine. Thank you. I'm glad you're doing well. 
Thank you. It's so nice to see you. Um, to the listeners who don't know, you and I, we met each other over the summer um, as you were preparing to go to the Handbell Festival in Louisville, Kentucky. And right. um, and so it's it's so nice that we were able to meet in person. And it's nice to chat with you today about a topic near and dear to your heart, handbells. Oh, yes. <laughs> there's a handbell on my license plate because my license plate says music. That's and right. There's a bell on it that my husband cut out of contact paper and put on. So people always know it's me. <laughs> that's funny. That's that's wonderful. So today we're going to talk about bell choir beginnings. What I would love to cover today is really if someone is listening and they are either a seasoned music director or someone who might be brand new as a music director in their parish and they want to start a bell choir, but I want to start and just say like they have nothing, they've never had one, they don't have any materials. Like what's the very first thing that a music director would want to start to consider if they want to start any type of bell choir? Well, first of all, you probably need to explore and see if people would maybe be interested in being in one. And there's a lot of people that start with children, but the there's been a flip in the last 15, 20 years that adults are very interested in playing. And um, back in the 60s and the 50s, we started with our kids. And now those kids have grown up and they wanted to still ring. So there's a lot of interest with adults. And um, there are some adults that just like, okay, especially after COVID, I want to do something creative. I want to make music. And so don't be afraid to do adults or children. Um, I dearly love my high school kids, but it's hard to get high school kids because they're so busy with so many things. I think you need to let them grow into that. But if you've got some high school kids that want to make music, go for it. Now, I need to tell you, the first bell choir I rang in, that's how I learned to ring, it went from fifth grade to 80. Wow. Uh, so... It, it's an intergenerational thing. So don't feel like you have to limit yourself to just children or just adults. Just if you can find at least probably six or eight people, 10 would be ideal. But if you can find at least that many people that are interested in making music together and learning to ring, that's a good thing. And they don't necessarily need to know how to read music before they begin because that's part of what this instrument does. It's very good at teaching people how to read music if you've got a good good teacher to do that too. But um, it, it, you don't have to have an embouchure. You don't have to have wind control. It does help if you can see, but there are blind ringers as well. And there's systems for teaching the blind to ring. To ring. And um, there's also systems to teach people that are deaf to ring. Um, Handbell Musicians of America have done so much research and worked with things. So don't feel that physical disabilities may be a, an issue. It does help if, um, uh, if people can feel a beat. So if you're evaluating, well, maybe you have too many people that show up and want to, want to ring, how do you decide which would be your best group to start with? And I'd say the best way to do is start by playing some music and see, can they move to the beat? If they don't have a good sense of beat, you're going to have a painful time. Um, I also like to see if they can bounce a tennis ball. 
because the the uh, idea of ringing a bell, handbell or a hand chime on time is very important. It's a percussion instrument. And if you don't have a sense of anticipation so that the beat happens when you move your arm, that doesn't work so well. So if people can bounce a tennis ball to a piece of music, that's a, a nice march type of piece or a fun uh, jive dance piece that has a good set beat to it. And if they can bounce a ball to it, it could be a bigger ball, but a tennis ball is about the right size that you would use for a handle in your hand. And you can see if they can do that. But I work with whomever God sends through the door. And so if they don't have a good sense of beat, then I do a lot of exercises and games um, and rhythm uh, games for perception and cognition. That's uh, a Delcros based thing by Bob Abramson. Uh, wonderful games for teaching all ages how to feel what music is about. So if you're not a music teacher, but you need some help, those are good games that would, and, and the instructions the music is right there teaching you how to, to move to things. But let's say you've got people that are interested. They're ready to go. Where do you get your instruments? And so I, I have a list of suggestions for that. Uh, number one, check neighboring churches to see if any have them in their closets and will they loan them to you. And it can be any denomination. But there's a lot of places that had very active bell choirs at one time. And then it just fell off for one reason or another. And they're just sitting in a closet. Um, in uh, the Catholic Church, we have, and, and the Methodist churches, there are many, and Presbyterians, as I'm thinking about it, and some Lutherans, there are churches that have closed. And I know, I have a friend in Louisville, that there were several Catholic parishes that closed. They knew that she did handbells. And um, she has a mission church in um, a poor section of Louisville. They donated the two octaves of bells to her because they were just going to sit in the church. They were just in there. So there's places where you can borrow things or maybe be gifted. But you may want to buy your own set. But there are schools and churches both that may have them sitting back that the teacher that's there, the director that's there doesn't know what to do with them and maybe they would be willing to loan them to you. Um, there are some sets of things called handbells that uh, I would not use with adults, but with very small children. And there's a set of about eight bells or 10 bells and they're color coded and you ring them by pulling the clapper and shake, 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 shake. And, you, and they have no resonance, but you have to keep them going. That could be okay. The, uh, they tend to look cute, not be a good musical instrument but you have to start somewhere. And if you say, well, this is where we're starting, but you know, you have a vision, I'd really like to have real handbells. Um, another way to get interest uh, going is to invite a, an existing handbell choir from a school or a church to come and play for your people uh, at a mass, or if you're having a choral concert or an instrumental concert to have this visiting choir um, come and play. And um, most, most choirs are always glad to go play someplace if they can find a place. So they're, they're very glad to be invited. But sometimes if you don't have a choir come, people don't even know what you're talking about. Right. And so to have them come, um, I know my handbell choir was the first one in the Diocese of Wheeling, Charleston. We've been everywhere. And um, 
many denominations, uh, all kinds of service organizations and things through the years, rest homes. Yeah, you just go and play because handbell ringers love to play and make music together. And so you need to find good venues for them. But um, once you get through the idea of how are you getting your instruments, there are many places to purchase them. Uh, there are handbell companies, uh, Schomerick Handbell Company, Malmark Handbell Company that are here in the United States. Um, there are some other companies across the world. Um, I understand that uh, the first handbell foundry that's in England is back in business again. They had been oh, really? closed for, yeah. So Whitechapel is again selling bells and making bells, oh. for which I'm delighted. And um, my first, that's the set of handbells that I learned on was Whitechapel back oh. in back in the 60s in Tanning, Pennsylvania. So uh, I had a, a very good experience. I got to ring for two months and then the director retired and I was the director. So I know what it's <laughs> like to be thrown in and not know what you're doing, but there are all kinds of helps for you if you don't know what you're doing and you want to have a bell choir, but where do you start? There's the organization Handbell Musicians of America that uh, used to be called the American Guild of Handbell Ringers. And uh, Handbell Musicians of America have a fabulous organization all across the country that uh, each uh, were divided by regions. And uh, so you can contact those people. You can go to, um, I, I will send you a handout that um, you can share with anybody that might be interested that would have all this information. And um, there are festivals, there are workshops, there are clinics that are offered by state level. And um, then there are regionals and then there are national things. So they have it broken down for things. Um, there are many videos online. Brenda Austin at uh, Hope Publishing. Uh, if you go to the Hope Publishing website, she has very small videos that just teach you basic things that you can look at that maybe are two or three minutes long, maybe five, that it's not laborious and long, but that you can share with people if they, if they think they would be interested. So there's all kinds of information out there. And uh, now that we have things online, um, I did something for NPM during COVID about what do you do? Because handbells are a percussion instrument. We were allowed to play eventually. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's a something in the files somewhere for, for NPM that, that they could also uh, uh, access. Um, there are some off-brand of handbells, some that have been made in I India and some in Japan. Uh, I would explore those carefully and ask people around you. I haven't worked with most of them, and so I don't know how how well they stay in tune. Um, the, the instruments we have here in the United States with Schulmerich and Malmark are very fine-tuned individual instruments. Uh, you may not, you may get a good deal on Etsy, but then they might be so out of tune you can't use them. So right. uh, I, I wouldn't want people to spend their money unwisely. Um, for hand chimes, some people like to start with hand chimes for their beginning instrument. And those are also available from Schulmerich and Malmark. And then Suzuki does have them as well. And so those are three companies that you would have a good quality instrument because tuning is, is important. And, and you want them to sound good when you play instead of people going, they sound awful. So you want, you want a good thing. Um, 
there is some equipment that you would need to have besides the instruments. Uh, you would need pads for your table so that you don't damage your instruments. Um, handbells are made of bronze. It's a precious, uh, precious metal. And so you need to make sure you don't chip them and break them or crack them. Um, with the hand chimes, they're aluminum. But if you don't have a pad to put them on, they make a lot of noise when you put them up and down. And sometimes people are very excited and they put things down too hard. And so having pads is helpful. Um, Jeffers Handbell Supply uh, is a wonderful source. They send things all over the world and they have a wide variety of things. And so that would be a good source to look for foam pads and then covers. You know, you can use tablecloths or you can become more fancy as you go along. And there's all kinds of lists of things that can happen with that. Uh, one of the things that is of interest is, well, what music do you play? Where do you get it? What do you do? And um, if you don't have anything and you want to get a bell choir started, I would suggest uh, starting with level one music. And the Handbell Musicians of America has worked very hard with publishers so that music is graded and you can see what level would work. And even if you have fine musicians that want to play, if they play band instruments or orchestra instruments, they're singers, they're piano players, I would still start with level one because you have a lot of skills that you need to learn and being able to be precise and playing together instead of, I'm at the piano, so I, I would play. You want your bells to do what we call a ching, that everything plays at the same time. Instead of... That, that doesn't lend itself to good, uh, good experience for the audience because it sounds like they don't know what they're doing because they don't know what they're doing. And so uh, <laughs> you want to have real precision. And so as well as starting with level one music, if I was looking for solo pieces, I would also start and I would start right away with my rehearsal this week and we would play on Sunday to accompany something that, we're, that the congregation's going to be singing. And we would support that sound. We, we would in, in give a new color of sound to what the people are singing. In the Catholic church, we're a liturgical church. We sing the Gloria every week. We sing the Alleluia every week, except during Lent, we don't do those two. Uh, but, uh, and the Holy Holy and the Amen and things. So I would either, some of the masses uh, that we use have some handbell parts written already, but if you're just starting, you might just want to play on beat one of every measure. Just see what chord is there and pick the bells that are in that same chord. So if you're doing the Mass of Creation, you would just start with a G minor chord and just maybe go back and forth between two chords there until, it, until Marty changes his harmonization then later <laughs> on. In it. But uh, he And he's written handbell parts that go with it. Mm -hmm. But um, you you just you want to start with something that's gonna allow everybody to feel good. And if you're playing with everybody singing, then they're not spotlighted so much of, what if I make a mistake? Then people won't notice so much, but you get the feel of what's going on. Um, as an aside, I'm also a choral person. When I have my people sing and ring as much as I possibly can, their singing improves. Their uh, intonation is so good because right under their ear, They've got the whole overtone series for those chords. And it really made a difference for my, my first choirs back in the 
back in the 70s when I first started um, with singing and ringing together with that idea, it made a huge difference. And so for if you're a choral director and your choir doesn't sing so well in tune, you might want to add some handbells to what they're doing, and that might help them with that. But um, it's easy to write a handbell chart. Jeff Honoré has done lots of hymns, uh, arrangements that are published by World Library, um, and some other people have done things. I'll, I'll send you the, those lists of, of suggested things that would work. But it's easy to look at your hymnal and see what the chord structure is and be able to write something that's going to go well. Now, if it's a public domain hymn, you don't have to get permission from anybody to do that. If it's um, a modern piece that's within the last 15, 20 years, uh, you might need to get permission to say, can I add, I'm not gonna change your harmonization. You have to tell the composers, I'm not gonna change the harmonization, but I would like to add to what you've harmonized and by adding some bells to it. But you need to be legal and take care of your copyrights for that as, as well. Another tool that would be very helpful if you're doing handbells is to wear gloves because the bells are made of bronze and that will tarnish and your fingerprints are hard to get off after you've put your fingerprints all over them. And I suggest that you have polishing cloths so you can polish or sunshine cloths and Jeffers Handbell Supply, Handbell Supply out of Detroit, they all carry things like that so that you'd be able to use those. And just take good care of your instruments. That's one of the things at a rehearsal. Right away, I teach my musicians, how do you care for these instruments? Um, I have handbells from the 1970s. And so we're still using them. And because you take care of them. Now, they have handles. And another reason to wear gloves, you can wear blisters. And uh, so gloves do offer you some protection as well as um, corn pads and moleskin. Um, when you're playing a lot, when you first start, you're not gonna get that. But when you've got a more advanced choir and you're rehearsing for an hour and you're ringing hard, um, you can just wear a hole in your skin. <laughs> and so you need some, you need a little medical kit. <laughs> that, and we always have one that travels with us with every place we go, because especially at a bell festival, uh, like we did in Louisville, you're ringing for hours a day and the, it just can wear a hole in you and then it's not fun to ring. So you want to cover up uh, spots that would be there. But gloves help with that. There are black gloves. There are white gloves. Um, the Raleigh ringers that have performed for National Pastoral Musicians Convention and Raleigh a couple of years ago. And then Dave Harris was our director. He's their director. He was our director in Louisville. One of the fundraisers they do for their group is to tie dye gloves. Now we don't use them in church, but we use them in rehearsal. It's a lot more fun when you've got pretty <laughs> gloves that you can ring rather than plain black or plain white. So, uh, but they're just a little too flashy for church, I think, but, um, <laughs> but in the music room in rehearsal space, I think that works. Uh, you also for equipment, need to have sturdy tables to put your instruments on. You don't want a table that's going to collapse. Um, to get For me to get a call from the Presbyterian Church here in town, uh, in Morgantown, West Virginia, a couple, a few years ago, help, our bell table collapsed and all the bells smashed onto the floor. And oh. they had a hardstone floor. They had to replace some castings because they cracked them. Uh, it just you don't want your tables to collapse. So just putting up a, a little flimsy table and, and going, it'll be okay. 
but there are nice ones like from Sam's Club that you can get are plastic tables, but they're very sturdy. Yeah. But you always want to make sure that that bar that slides down, that the, the keeper over it is in good place so that your bells are going to be substantially supported, uh, especially if you're doing advanced techniques like marting or something like that, where you're putting a lot of pressure on the table. You do not want your table to collapse. But for the Presbyterian Church, I felt so bad. Their table just collapsed. Nobody was around it or anything. Aww. They had the bells on the table. And so it things just happen. So you mm -hmm. want to take as best care of your instruments as you can. Mm -hmm. um, when you're trying to figure out what to do and how to do, and I'm all by myself and I don't know what I'm doing, uh, you have the Handbell Musicians of America that you can reach out to. Um, but in your town, there's liable to be somebody that knows how to ring if you're in a big enough town um, because handbells are all over the place and hand chimes um, in Ohio back in the eighties and the nineties, the state had an agreement that they would pay half for bells. And so a lot of Catholic schools oh. got handbells and hand chimes and some of them might be being used and some of them might not, but there might be supplies and things there that you could borrow. But there are lots of people in schools and churches that have had handbell experience and um, would maybe be able to help you. Um, I'm always a resource. I'm always glad I, you know, probably weekly or monthly, I get requests from people for what should I do for this? Or can you help me with this? Can you look at this bell? They send me pictures. Do you think I cracked it? You know, and it's not so much looking at it as hearing it. And mm -hmm. then what do I do? Or my handle broke. What do I do? And, and things. So um, as I said earlier, there's probably bells and, and chimes and closets. Well, some of them may need to be refurbished because they may just be so old that the clappers are too hard and the bells don't sound good. They have a very harsh sound when the rubber gets too hard. Um, the, the handles are attached, but they might be loose. You don't want to have a clapper, or I mean, a whole casting go flying off. Um, there might be a spring that doesn't allow the bell to ring because it's broken. So you can get your handbells refurbished. Uh, and there, uh, Schulmerich and Malmark both do that. Jeffers does that. Um, One Note in Pittsburgh does that. They do a lot of refurbishing work and things, Christopher. And so there's all kinds of places that you can go to get help. And uh, so don't feel like, oh, I found these things, but none of them work. Mm -hmm. And I've had people that have brought cases to the music room and said, what do you think? What do you think we should do? And, you know, you go through and, and there's only so much I can do. Sometimes you need to send them off. And then after they get so old, they need to be refurbished. They, you know, after they're 10 years old or so, they're, they're ready to have some tender loving care. And there are good people that know how to do that. And it'll sound like you have a brand new bell set. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is mm -hmm. wonderful. So um, those are things that help you get started. But what do you do at your first rehearsal? Well, you teach them how to read music if they don't know how to read music. Uh, I like to use flashcards. And even with the professional musicians, uh, I like to work on what the shape of their ringing space should look like. It's not out in, it's a circle. And that you snap and you lift. Uh, if you're just going out in, you're going to be smacking the bell all the time. And handbell musicians have... Um, 
a reputation. Handbell choirs have a, a reputation for just being clangy. Not good ones. Not if you're playing musically, but when you're going out and bang, bang, and every note is equal instead of having a flow of beat one, two, three, four, so that you don't play each quarter note equally that you have to know. And boy, to develop that rapport in a group of people that everybody understands that so that G4 isn't playing a G4 solo every time they play. And I'm saying that because I had a seventh grade boy that just loved his G4 and he rang it as loud and as hard and as long as he could, you know, <laughs> but it's just trying to convince people that they have to listen. I, I think the listening skills for handbell choirs and hand chime choirs are so important that they have to hear and understand they're part of a whole group that they make music together and it's not just your individual bells. And how do you start people? Sometimes I start them depending on their skills, their music skills. I might start them with just one bell or one chime, but the ideal is to have two. It's so much more fun when you've got two, but then you have to learn how to ring parallel motion in front of you so you don't ring them together because we have this point where our eyes bring everything together and you don't want that to be your bells or your chimes <laughs> so you have to learn to have a stroke that comes out from your shoulder and to lift and as I said Brenda Austin's uh, videos and there's many others on online uh, that you can watch the Raleigh ringers have many many choir uh, videos that you see what it looks like when a whole choir lifts their bells together and rings together. I call it a beautiful wall of sound, that that sound just comes right at you. And it just, uh, it looks good. They're an, a visual art as well as aural art. And I know that there's some bell choirs that play in uh, balconies. I think, uh, I, I know that when we've played in balconies um, in, in visiting churches and things, you'll see people get their mirrors out and, and look or their phones out and flip it so that they can, <laughs> can see, so they can see and watch it because you want to see them. And I think that's, that's important that it, that your ringing technique looks good mm -hmm. and it makes for the musicality so much more when, when you've got a uniform stroke for a whole note that everybody feels how much space it takes and that a quarter note takes less space. But you don't want to sound like Woody Woodpecker with every quarter note in the same place. You need to ring up, 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 so that there's this lift and this breath. Uh, and one of the things, handbells are not wind instruments, but if you don't breathe and breathe together, you don't start together. Mm -hmm. You don't stop your sounds together. Damping is something you have to learn. Um, Ellen Jane Lorenz uh, was a force to be reckoned with in the early days of handbell ringing. She did not believe any bell should ever be damped. And so it could get a lot of chaos in the sound of what was going on. Yeah. Uh, so um, uh, you, you learn to damp judiciously. But if you're playing an accompaniment that's going along with eighth notes... You can do just like on a damper pedal put down on the piano and let them ring. And then when the chord changes, then you damp them and you touch your body to do that. You have to bring it to your shoulder. And as you get to more advanced techniques, sometimes you do table dance because you have more than two bells. Now that's exciting. And what do you do when you only have two hands and you have to put something down? So those are advanced techniques that you work on. But to get started, uh, in your first rehearsals, I would have 
rhythm cards. I would have flashcards and work on getting a whole note stroke, getting a half note stroke, getting the quarter notes that they move up. And so that people are all working together. And then with level one music, you're not having to think hard about everything because it's usually half notes and whole notes and some quarter notes added. Mm-hmm. And it may teach dynamics so that you're not playing loud all the time and that you have you learn subtleties of how much energy it takes to get a good sound from a bell. And so those are all, all adjustments that, that people need to hear and work with with their ears and um, figuring out which bells they ring. And sometimes people have a hard time remembering what their bells look like. A lot of musicians are used to looking at a full score if they play piano or organ. Mm-hmm. If you play a string instrument or a wind instrument, then you have just a single line that you look at, but you're responsible for every note on the staff, not in handbills. You, unless you're playing a solo piece and you're playing all by yourself. And that takes a lot of skill, but usually you have one or two bells. So I give a sticky paper with a staff and the note assignment that they can put right on their music, that they can see this is what I'm looking at. And, um, figuring out where do you find them on the staff. And we usually give a space note and a line note that are right beside each other so that you might be playing F and G. And the bells are divided by octaves. Middle C is called C5. And then you go up from that or below that would be B4 below it. But C is where the number of the octaves change. And people ask me, well, how many octaves should I start with? Well, depends on how many people are interested. And, but um, I have a hard time living with just two octaves. <laughs> it would go from, from G4, which is the, the top space on the bass clef, up to G6, which is above the treble clef. And you can make music with that, but then you're really limited to how many keys you can play in. And pretty soon you really want a low D or a low C or, oh, if I just had that A6 up here. So we started back in the 70s with two and a half octaves. And I soon I had to get three because I just <laughs> had to add those bells. But, you know, money, what do you do? And so you fundraise or people donate things. And so there are certain bells that this is Mary's bell. This my my family bought this in memory of so-and-so or, and things like that. And you can put uh, labels in the bell handles that says who they were donated by or who they're mm-hmm. in honor of or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you can, and the salespeople at the bell companies are very good at working with you to plan. How do you fundraise? How do you get the equipment and things that you need? And um, it takes space for bells and you need cases to keep your bells in, or um, you have to have a closet or something with pegs that you can hang them um, that there's substantially supported um, that you just you just don't throw them in a belt in a crate that doesn't work because they right. need to be protected because they're the lip of the bell is very fragile and if it's getting nicked then it can go it can lead to a crack and you don't want that you don't want your bells to be damaged but it yeah. happens things mm-hmm. happen and so the bell companies are glad to supply you with a new one um, there are used handbells out there that you can buy I know when I wanted to add um, another bell choir um, and have my two bell choirs play together sometimes, 
I was able to buy a set of bells from the same age as my, my initial bells that had been in a school. And some of the bells had to be replaced because they had been really used hard. And the director that was selling them to me had them refurbished, had all the bells refurbished and replaced the ones that needed. And so then I have another set that's very nice that is able to be added. And as you get more advanced, sometimes you need more than one person playing the same bell, but at different places in the piece. So sometimes you need to have two C6s or, or two, you need an A flat for somebody, but then somebody else needs it as a G sharp. So it's helpful to have two of things. So refurbished bells are very good to help with that when you're wow. looking to do that. But um, it is expensive. And so you need help with figuring out how to plan and um, it's very helpful if you've got people in your parish that are wanting to, or in your school, that are wanting to help you get new instruments. And um, I, I find that one of the best ways to get help is talk about it. If you don't talk about it, people don't know what your dreams are and what you want. And I know I was hired to teach at a public school many years ago, and um, they looked at my portfolio and saw that I had a lot of handbell experience and it was a brand new school. There was money for new things at this new school. And the, the principal said, well, what would you do if I said that maybe we could get some bells for you? I said, I'd said, I'll take it. And so <laughs> we, uh, we got bells um, and from Schomerick and I had kids that signed up uh, the first day of school because we had the dedication, like we started school on Tuesday and the dedication was on Sunday. So I just had them improvise ringing at random and, and ending up on a big triumphant G major chord uh, at, the, the, at the ribbon cutting ceremony. Mm, so we were nice. ringing at random as people all came together and then boom, you know, so you can, you don't always have to play something written on the page, mm -hmm. but it helps if you have some harmony ideas if you have some chord structure and things that you can go away from or add to, because with chant, we, we have lots of things that we can accompany with handbells or hand chimes, uh, ringing at random. That means you're not playing on a steady beat and that you're, you're just, um, that you're just giving a background sound and then, but then you have to have a canter or a choir that's able to get the right pitch. Right. I had one priest whom I dearly, dearly love. He could not get his pitch for the Gloria from a handbell. Oh. It didn't work. He mm -hmm. just, the overtone series just messed him up. Mm -hmm. he, could, he couldn't get which pitch he was supposed to start on. So you have to make sure you have a good singers that can sing with mm -hmm. them. But it's, it's, it's very nice. There's so many things you can do. It's so creative with, with things that you can, just come up with that you go oh I wish I had a piece of music for this well there isn't one because it hasn't been written yet so you need to figure out what you can do and if you have instrumentalists in your in your music groups um, to play with chimes with flute um, I have uh, some string players to have them play a solo just the hymn tune they can play the hymn tune and we'll just play the chords underneath it to accompany them. So, you know, it just, I, I try, like I said, to work with whomever God sends through the door and whatever their skill level is, 
figure out what it is, knowing that I'm not going to let them stay at that school level. I'm going to be teaching them so that they can improve and be ready to share their gifts with their parish. And parishes are very help, happy to have people participate in the liturgy other than just the priest and the altar servers and the readers. You know, they, they like to have more things. So I, I think right. that's a good thing. Right. Well, Donna, your love for handbells is very apparent in our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a huge help, I believe, starting from the beginning and just like a handbell choir from the start, just slowly growing in what you can accomplish and build in a bell choir. And I think this was wonderful. Um, to wrap up, um, you said you will be giving us a type of handout that we'll be able to put in the show notes, correct? Right. Yes. Okay. I'll send All that. Right. That's and great. it will have uh, computer links. It'll have phone numbers and things so that you can um, contact people and organizations that would be helpful to you. Of course, Wonderful. I don't know your local needs, but I'm looking at the whole United States and because NPM is everywhere, which is mm -hmm. wonderful and um, things that we can look at for that. But um, the, it's not like you're all by yourself anymore. Yeah. We, we have the internet to help us, but um, it does help if you have somebody that just can come over or you go to them and they can help you learn to ring. And I right. suggest when somebody in Morgantown or in this area wants to learn how to ring, and how to direct, I just say, come to my rehearsals. I almost always have somebody that's missing. Come learn to ring just by ringing. And then you'll understand the instrument and, and what's going on. So I'm sure other people would do that too. I'm sure too. Donna, thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your work always on this topic, but especially for your time and sharing your expertise with us today here on Ministry Monday. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. What hope we have, even in the longest night, for the light will overcome. We will not fear, for we know the sun will rise. Hallelujah is our song. What peace we have. Thanks so much to Donna for her time today. For more information about this episode, as well as a list of resources that Donna has compiled herself for you, our listeners, for this episode, check out the show notes of this episode at ministrymonday.org. If you are a standard level or premium level NPM member, make sure to check out the June edition of Pastoral Music Magazine, which will be coming out in just a few short weeks as Donna talks about this topic at even greater length. Not an NPM member? NPM membership has many benefits, including receiving a print publication called Pastoral Music periodically throughout the year. It is filled with educational content as well as music reviews and association news to keep you updated in Pastoral Music today. This is available for standard level and premium level NPM members. To learn more about these levels of membership and how to sign up, go to npm.org forward slash join. The recording of Hallelujah is Our Song was recorded by Oregon Catholic Press. And today's theme music was produced by Aaron Schaus. 
Today's episode of Ministry Monday was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts, empowering us for the work of ministry. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here soon on Ministry Monday. Now we shall